Hello and welcome to the Around the Nation podcast for the week of Monday, September 19th, 2011. I'm Pat Coleman. And I'm Keith McMillan. And week three of the Division Three football season was, uh, let's see, a week in which the uh, Purple Powers rolled, uh, teams went for two and lost, and we can play the comparative score game. So that's what we're going to do here for the next, uh, yeah, I would go back and dub in later, somewhere between 40 minutes and 60 minutes as we uh, run through the third week of the Division Three football season. Keith, um, the uh, the mantra today seemed to be if you wanted to take down a top 25 team, you, you felt you had to go for two, and uh, three teams tried it and all three teams failed. Yeah, and I'm never so sure about that move. You know, there's always the old adage, you know, you go for two on the road and you play for the tie at home or whatever. And I, I think really what it is is coaches are are getting a feel for where their team is in the game, whether their team would win if they played overtime, if they're if the team is getting stronger or if if this is their their last shot. And I think also too, you know, if they have a if they have a play they feel strongly about going for two, uh, a lot of times, you know, that's a play that that's in the back pocket all season. You know, and just for that situation, and uh, if they have a play they really like, uh, they they pull it out. And uh, three teams, you know, tried it against top twenty-five teams, Pat, as you mentioned on, on Saturday, and uh, none of them worked. Two of the teams on the road, kind of lending uh, some credence to that. Go for it on the road. Um, you know, obviously, all three teams were were underdogs of various, uh, you know, uh, various distances. I think the biggest one uh, is is Morrisville State at home to uh, 10th-ranked Montclair State, uh, uh, scoring with 21 seconds to go on a 70-yard, 16-play drive. Uh, I guess that's a situation where you probably think you have the momentum, but uh, then again, uh, you, you look at that game on paper, you know, on Sunday, on Saturday morning, and think Morrisville State's got to be lucky to think to, to be even in the game at that point in the game. And, and maybe that factors into the decision to go for it, you know, that they don't think if they got into an extended overtime back and forth that they could win. But again, Pat, if you, if you think you have the momentum, you know, maybe you go for the tie and, and you go ahead and play ex, extra frame, you know. Um, it's It definitely doesn't reflect well on Montclair State, although we shouldn't consider it just a bad Montclair State game. We really have to give uh, Morrisville State a little bit of credit for, for putting together that kind of drive in the fourth quarter. You know, that's not anything fluky where, you know, Montclair State missed a tackle and a guy ran for a long play. They put together a drive, they earned it, and they had a chance, you know, to tie or go for the win, and, and they, they felt bold. And that would have been a big, big win for, for the Mustangs program, and, you know, as they've come over from being a junior college where they were really successful, and then they really haven't had much success uh, in Division Three in the NJAC and, and beating Montclair State, you know, would have been a big step for them. And instead, Montclair State holds on. And that's the kind of thing for, for a team like Montclair State where they, you know, they wipe their brow and say, Whew, we got away with one there, and then they maybe go on and, and play well the rest of the season because they've been humble. Yeah, Morrisville State's never won more than three games in its uh, now going on six-year history in NCAA Division Three. Uh, lost at home to Hartwick in Week One, fourteen eleven. Had a bye week. You know, it's another thing having an extra week to prepare. Sometimes you see Keith with teams kind of in the lower echelon of the Division Three standings, so to speak, um, going for two because. You don't have a lot of choice. You know what I mean. Where the, where the kicking situation is so bad that um, your your uh, your PAT uh, is a uh, is an adventure in itself. Uh, uh, Morrisville went for two on its first uh, on its first touchdown, uh, fumbled a snap, and then on uh, second touchdown kicked the extra point. So seemingly the the kick was there for them. 
that they uh, chose to go for it and they uh, fell 20 to 19. Uh, the other two teams were, uh, were games where teams were on the road and teams again were big underdogs. Uh, let's talk about the uh, the McMurray Mary Harden Baylor game interrupted in the second quarter because of a lightning delay. Uh, you know McMurray was seemingly back on its heels. Mary Harden Baylor was on a bit of a roll and the game kind of changed a little bit after that. Yeah, and I mean the reports we got from uh, from Twitter. You know we were we were watching. Uh or listening, or, or whatever it is that you do with tweets, reading, I guess, fans from uh, from down in Texas, giving us a, a feel for what was happening down there. And, and it was, you know, Mary Harden-Baylor had started to pull away, and after the delay, McMurray gets gets right back into that game. And that is a situation where you have the momentum. You know, it, it was like uh, two different games, to be to be quite honest. I know that's cliche, but uh, McMurray, in, in the in the second part of the game, we had, had, had brought it back and uh, cut it to 28-27. And, and certainly in that case, uh, maybe it was a good idea to go for the win. I feel like we have to be a little bit um, surprised after after McMurray loses eighty two to six in week one. And granted, that's a, that's a very good Stephen F. Austin team, you know, from from a scholarship level that they lost to. Then they turn around and win next week, and then uh, really this is a loss for them. They drop to one and two, but to be within one point of, of Mary Harden Baylor, a third ranked team in Division three. Uh, it says a lot about how they were able to stick together, keep their confidence, and they they showed that resilience in uh, in Saturday's game when they when they came back in in the second half. Yeah, McMurray scored the last 21 points to win. Uh the 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 two-point conversion attempt to pass that was intercepted with uh a buck 47 to go. McMurray actually got the ball back. Uh Mary Hard Baylor was unable to run out the clock, but then uh was was unable to do anything with it at that point. Uh Mary Hard Baylor led by Darius Wilson and another uh Great night on the ground for him. 30 carries for 222 yards. And Mary Harden Baylor ran for 323 yards. You know, Keitha, with that and the result of another game, a couple games that we're going to talk about uh, later in this podcast, I think McMurray uh, kind of moves itself up to second in the pecking order, at least has to be, uh, has to kind of share that honor with Mississippi College, who uh, who, who beat Harden Simmons on Saturday. Because you know, McMurray, you mentioned the the I would have thought it had the potential, for example, to be a demoralizing loss. Uh, back all the way back on September the first, uh, and then, you know, they they beat a uh, they beat a scholarship school. Granted, a first year program playing its second ever game, but any game I think that you win in front of a hostile thirty one thousand fan crowd uh, has to count for uh, quite a bit. And then they go toe to toe with Mary Harden Baylor. I I think that uh, McMurray is is has got its destiny in front of them. And I just really used a big cliche, but uh, hopefully you can pick me up here. Well, <laughs> to be honest, Pat. It, the the American Southwest seemed like it opened up on Saturday because you had a Louisiana College big fifty six to nothing win. You had Mississippi College. They didn't just you know squeak by Harden Simmons. They were up forty five fourteen at one point in that game. So they they really they really smushed the, um, the 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 Cowboys. So then you have you have Mary Harden Baylor still at the top. You have McMurray going toe to toe with them. You have Mississippi College, Louisiana College, and then you have. Um, you know, East Texas Baptist, we thought maybe would be good. They lose the Texas Lutheran. So all of a sudden, this whole conference now is, is a big jumble. And it's one of those conferences where you may get two teams in the playoffs if, if a second one plays well. So you're really looking for that team besides Mary Harden Baylor to emerge. And the third uh, two point conversion game was uh, Ohio Northern beating Otterbein 34 33 in overtime. Um, you know, Keith, this also brings up a, a, a comparative score game for us that we can talk about. A little bit later, but uh, Otterbein has just had a, a a strange first three weeks of the season, first two games. Yeah, and and 
you know, they started out, they were, they went, went to overtime against Gallaudet, hung on to win that one and, and uh, came back home. And then, you know, two weeks later, they're playing 12th ranked Ohio Northern and uh, it, it's Austin Schlosser and late in the game, or actually in overtime again, finds uh, Brock Brzezenko for, for a touchdown. And, and again, a team doesn't go for the tie. And in this case, you know, Otterbein and Ohio Northern, um, kind of on the same same level in, in terms of uh, the pecking order. You know, we talked about it with the American Southwest in in the OAC. I, I don't think this is a situation where where you, it's like Morrisville State would be lucky, or this would be a big win for the program. Morrisville State beating Montclair State, Otterbein should be able to to hang with Ohio Northern at some time. So they didn't need to go for two in, in that sense. But uh, they clearly felt good about it, uh, and, and sh- they threw another Schlosser pass, incomplete. Polar Bears uh, hang on, win 34-33. And we're not going to play you know, the, the comparative score game for the rest of the hour here, but you know, let's just think about some of the... Uh some of the comparisons that this sets up. First of all, you know, a, a very direct comparison, seemingly, between Gallaudet and Ohio Northern, which is, um, you know, from 179 to, to 12, basically. That's kind of mind-boggling, to be honest with you. Yeah, it really is. And, and it shows, I guess, that, that any program that, that starts to play well, that really, that really turns that corner early in the season, can shoot right up our rankings. And, uh, and, and obviously, we do the kickoff rankings based on you know, what we've seen last year, what we've seen historically, what we expect to see this year, you know, how many starters are coming back, key players, superstars. We didn't really have any indication that that guy that would be that good. So is it a case of that being a sort of a fluky first week game? Or is it a case of there, there being really a lot of parity in Division Three this year when you get beyond that top two? I don't know. And I will say this, you know, uh, we didn't have, you know, great indications that Gallaudet would be world beaters this year, but 179 preseason for Gallaudet. I know it doesn't sound like much to uh, fans of uh, of a lot of schools out there, but that's the highest that Gallaudet has ever been in our preseason rankings by, I think, a significant margin by about 20 or 30 teams. That's the highest they've ever been. Um, just to uh, try to reevaluate and then talk about some other things that, uh, you know, that are kind of connected to this. Um, you know, Gallaudet also went toe-to-toe with Catholic last Friday night, uh, a little bit over a week ago, and then Catholic has another great win, uh, or at least an exciting win on Friday night against Carnegie Mellon. Yeah, and, and it appears their MO Catholic this year is to get down double digits in the second half and then put together a remarkable comeback. Uh, th- this time it was Car- Carnegie Mellon uh, was up 28-13 late in the third quarter. Catholic put together a couple long drives in the fourth and then kicked the field goal at the end of the third and was able to pull it out and then had to hold on, you know, the last 241. The, uh, I, I'm, I'm fairly certain. Of course, Catholic has a week off to kind of retool and, and figure out how maybe it wants to play the first three quarters at some point. You're not going to be able to do that against Hampton-Sydney. not going to be able to do that against Randolph-Macon, the next two teams on their schedule. Yeah, the, the, it gets a little tougher from here on out, but you can't account for the kind of confidence that builds. You know, one of those wins is great for a team's confidence to know that it can come back in any situation, you know, no matter how far down it gets. To have three of those in a row, you, you really, you, we're not going to have confidence issues with this team. You know, they, they're going to have to get beaten. And, and if a team, if, if it's Hampton Sydney or, or Randolph Macon or somebody else in the ODAC, they're really going to have to put their foot on their necks, the Catholic, because you're, you're going to have to worry about that. The, the team that's playing them, that's beating them by two touchdowns, it knows what happened, you know, the three times already this year. So they're going to uh, make every game interesting or at least have the confidence that they have the ability to make every game interesting. We're going to kind of meander through week three here. Remember in, uh, back in week one, Catholic came back on a, a double-digit uh, fourth quarter comeback against McDaniel. 
on Saturday, McDaniel gave up another double-digit fourth-quarter lead, and they lost at Muhlenberg. Yeah, Muhlenberg scored 20, 27 points in the fourth quarter to stun McDaniel 34-26, and uh, you, you know came into the fourth. They were they were down 27-6, and it's playing in a game like that. It, it, it's weird how you get when a team the team that gets on a roll sometimes it, it's the team that's playing from ahead. You know, they start playing not to lose is the cliche, but it's um, it, it can be really t- it puts a lot of pressure, to be honest with you, on the team that's leading, you know, because you don't want to make mistakes and let that momentum roll up. And, and that's clearly what happened uh, against, you know, for Muhlenberg. They, they just, you know, you start getting rolling at the beginning of the fourth and you feel that comeback happening. And then uh, it, it uh, Muhlenberg finished it off with a 40 yard touchdown catch. To, uh, to, to beat McDaniel. Can I talk about the infamous 50-50 game? Uh, that's a game in, uh, which is the highest scoring tie in Division Three football history, and thanks to overtime, uh, these things no longer happen. But uh, between your alma mater and my alma mater back in 1995 when Catholic and Randolph-Macon tied, I know you weren't on the field for that, but you were there. Well, I was standing on the field, but yeah, you're right. I didn't, I didn't play in that game, but, but that was a game where we, we led 47-35, and then, you know, Catholic... Put together a score. You know, you go three and out. You give the ball right back, and then and then you feel them coming again. And 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 that see in that situation when the momentum's rolling, you know, you do wonder: do does a team go for two? You know, to try to try to get a win again. You know, we're not in a situation now; haven't been since the mid '90s where where ties are even an option. I'm kind of in favor, to be quite honest with you, if your team's playing well, to go ahead and, and play into overtime. But overtime can be so fluky; it can end on on one play. Remember last week, you know, Co threw an interception, had it returned all the the other way and lost the game in overtime while they were on offense. Yeah, I think and, if you have a if you have a strong kicker or if you're facing a strong kicker, which is something that occurred to me recently about the the, Mount, the Montclair State game. Um, you know, I'm sure Montclair has the, the much better kicking game and I don't think you want to be in a situation where you're facing a team that uh, in in overtime that you know can score because they have a guy who can kick a 42-yard field goal. So yeah. even if you hold them three and out, you're, they're still going to score three points. It's weird too. The overtimes either go bang bang, you know, team gains fifteen yards, ten yards, they score, or they or they go up top real quick for a twenty-five yard touchdown pass, or all of a sudden it's fourth down and like you said, they're kicking a forty-two yard field goal. It's it's these overtimes are uh, they're great. I mean, because they're so exciting because they can really they can end you know just with a with a one play you know, and, and it could be unexpected. The turnover when you're the second team to go, it, it puts a lot of pressure on. You mentioned Co, um, and we were talking about reevaluating teams. So, so Co has been in a situation this season where uh, they've lost a game to a, a team that we think is really good. They've lost to a team a, a game to a, a team that we're pretty sure is pretty bad. And then on Saturday, uh, they have to basically come back and uh, put away, come back and beat, come back and put away. I, I know they were up by one, but work with me here. Uh, scores a touchdown in the fourth quarter to beat Co. Thir- to beat Simpson, 34-26. Simpson, a couple weeks earlier, got its doors blown off by Bethel. Co. got its doors blown off by Harden Simmons. Bethel today struggles for three quarters with Carlton before finally putting them away, and Harden Simmons goes on the road and loses to Mississippi College. Yeah, and if you're not able to watch all these games in person, you know one of the best tools you have to compare talent is those comparative scores, and it's it's certainly not a foolproof system. It's in fact, it, it's a system where you, you make a fool out of yourself you, uh, half the time, you know, or maybe not half, but quite a bit of the time because those scores 
Uh, you know, one thing that happens one week doesn't always happen the next week. Teams play not necessarily consistently or they don't match up well with another team, but certainly have to reevaluate what we started out this season with, not just Cove starting out ranked number 10 and, and you know, being nowhere near the rankings now. But you look at, at, at how that compares Bethel you know, beating Simpson 55-3 and then Simpson being within, you know, a touchdown of Cove. Um, after today, Harden-Simmons beating Cove by a lot. That's not as impressive a win, apparently, because Harden Simmons is no longer has that that high standing because they got crushed by uh, by Mississippi College. So it, it does do something to the the whole ranking of Division three. And now that we have uh, have three weeks in, you know, you, there's there's I don't want to say there's no flukes anymore because there there still are, but you, you have a little bit more data to work with, and now things start to make a little bit more sense when you break it down. Well, and let's pull out one of these score chains that we now have. Uh, actually, I'm not going to list the, all the scores, but, uh, you know, I think all of these games were blowouts except for the first one. Uh, so Redlands beats North Central. That, that's not a blowout, but everything after this, uh, North Central crushes Bethel of Tennessee. Bethel of Tennessee crushed Wisconsin-Eau Claire earlier in the season. Uh, Wisconsin-Eau Claire beat the heck out of St. John's. St. John's crushed Northwestern, and then uh, this afternoon Northwestern uh, beat presentation by the score of 55 to nothing. And when you get into a string that long, you know, what, what do you make out of all of it? It's certainly weird to see St. John's that far down down any comparative score list. True. And uh, they had a real nice win on Saturday, opening up the, the Mayak schedule uh, you know, with an overtime win over Concordia Moorhead, which is, you know, top top half team in that in that conference. So, you know, what happens one week to another week? It's hard to make sense out of it. But certainly um, you got to you got to give Redlands the respect it deserves now because the better North Central plays on the back end of that makes the Redlands win look better. And that's the same. That's sort of the opposite of what we said with the Harden Simmons Co. You know, game now that it's not quite what we thought it was at the beginning of the season, which was a great game between two top 10 teams. You know, three weeks into the season, Harden Simmons and Co. aren't going to be in the top 10 anymore. Keith, I, I think it says that um, you, the teams don't necessarily play the same from week to week, to be honest with you. And you, you just have to, you know, every, every once in a while, you're going to get a you're going to get a result that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And maybe you have to discount it a little bit. Yeah. And, and that's a real tough job for for somebody who's who's working on their ballot for the poll, because you only have so much concrete data to go with anyway. And then to add that layer of subjectivity into it makes it all, all the all the more tougher. You know, do, does this win count? Does that win count? And if you say, well, if, I, if I'm discounting a bad a bad week for this team, what about this other team that had a bad had one bad week? You know, you, do you, you, you sometimes you find yourself, you know, I'm saying I'm, I'm penalizing Wabash for not beating somebody bad enough, but I'm giving somebody else a, a free pass for only winning by one point. You know, it's um it, it's it's hard to be really consistent as a voter, and it's obviously hard to be really consistent as a team. I think I wrote maybe last year, maybe called focusing on focus was the headline. We wrote a we wrote a um. Uh, around the nation about that talk to some different teams about what it's like to just to try just to be able to put that effort forth consistently every week to be the same team week to week because it, it's harder than it looks uh, we're going to come back and revisit uh presentation a little bit later in the broadcast and keith is going to give us his personal observations of the game he was at on saturday with uh, frostburg state ho hosting utica in uh, frostburg's home opener in its first game uh as a member a conference game as a member of the empire eight um Back on the uh, on the reevaluation uh, 
concept for a second. Um, there's a there's a little cluster of teams kind of centered around uh, East Texas Baptist as well. Uh, East Texas Baptist lost to Texas Lutheran on Saturday. Uh, they touched Wesley directly. Uh, Wesley had a, a, a tough game with them for about a half, and then Wesley pulled away. Of course, Kane beat Wesley, and then Kane also beat Cortland State on Saturday. Uh, is, is Wesley's win against ETBU less impressive now? Uh, was it already less impressive because they lost to Kane? And how do you how do you do we reevaluate this group at all? Yeah, I don't think it, that a whole lot changes there. When you when you ask about the Wesley win, I mean, it was a good uh, good a good idea of them to schedule somebody from the American Southwest, a tough conference, but it wasn't wasn't a top shelf team from that conference. You know, the best thing it did for Wesley was was give them a test. Um, you know, and give them a common opponent, maybe with Mary Harden Baylor, who they somehow always managed to end up playing later on in the season. Um, and you know, when we get deep in the playoffs, Kane clearly nothing fluky about their their victory over Wesley because their other game they go they go to Cortland State and and they they win there too. So you know, last week I jumped Kane way up into the poll, and we talked about this on the podcast where that's going to sort itself out. I thought maybe Kane would would lose today, and then I would I would be stuck, you know, swinging them way back down to where they came from, or I'd put them in the twenty somewhere. But they earned it. They, their spot, they're of the three ranked NJAC teams. You know, they were the one that looked the best on Saturday. Kane beats Cortland State. Montclair State needs to hold off a two point conversion against Morrisville State. Now you look at Kane as maybe the big dog in the NJAC. You still got Rowan, uh, and they they host Cortland State next week. So this could get really interesting really quickly in the end, Jack. And, and that makes a, uh, a real fun race. Yeah. You know, and as far as the, the rest of that, that chain that you had there, I don't know if, if it, if it changes a whole lot as far as top 25 is concerned. You know, there were years, I, I, I speak of this as, as if it were a long time ago. It's not, it's like two or three years ago where we thought Kane was going to be in this position. Yeah. And, and I actually was thinking about this today driving you know going back in my mind like what happened to them last year they were nine and two two years ago uh in 2009 and we were sort of expecting them to be a, a consistently good team and then they fell back to five and five and I, I personally i guess in the preseason i don't want to say i wrote them off but i didn't used to be there was there was a time a couple of years ago where we said okay now they're joining the big the big three and, and there's a big four on the end jack you know in any given year it could be a you know a tcnj or, or, or somebody that could hop up in there too you know um, but it, but after last year, you figured, okay, it was just going to be the same three teams, Rowan, Montclair State, and Cortland State. And if, if the first two weeks have told us anything nationally, you know, if there's been any more surprising start than Kane, um, I, mean, I don't know what it is. Maybe Redlands. Uh, there's one more kind of little cluster, and I, and I think it's kind of, I don't want to use the word tainted, but uh, kind of colored by the fact that uh, Stevenson is in this group, and Stevenson has, you know, gone from having no games in its history to three over the last three weeks. But the 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 Salisbury, Christopher Newport, Stevenson, Kings, and I don't know if you want to throw Shenandoah in there as well at that little clump. Yeah, you know, this is these are a group of mid-Atlantic teams that they're probably we're gonna get two or three playoff, you know, spots out of them because you got Christopher Newport in the USA South. You have um Salisbury in the Empire Eight, you have uh, Randolph Megan in, in the in the ODAC. You have Frostburg in the in the also in the Empire Eight now, and uh, Stevenson's in the MAC. Kings is in the MAC. So you have all these conferences intermixing, and and in a couple weeks from now, they'll all be playing each other conference games, and so we'll only have these interconference results to to try to compare them. And, and what was startling a little bit to me was seeing Salisbury, a team that I consider to you know be maybe the favorite in the Empire Eight. Them or, or Alfred, 
Um, only beat Christopher Newport 27-23 today. You know, any win is a good win. You don't want to knock it. But at the same time, Christopher Newport lost to Stevenson last week. Um, Stevenson got crushed the week before by Shenandoah. Granted, that was their first game. And, and, you know, Pat, you love to mention that that jump between the first game and the second game for any team in a season. And we're, we're talking for Stevenson, the first game and second game in history. And obviously they made a big jump from getting crushed to beating Christopher Newport. But I think to me that that said, OK, Christopher Newport's not the not the favorite in the USA South anymore. And then you turn around and see them play Salisbury tight. It just I don't know what to, I don't know what to make of any of this. I guess the only other thing I could think of that's a mitigating factor. And, and you know, certainly when you only have 10 games a season, there are a lot of mitigating factors But uh, for for Christopher Newport. Uh, this was the uh, the first home night game in in school history. Uh, they debuted their lights tonight at, at uh, on Saturday night at, at Pomoco's. I don't even if I can pronounce the name of the car dealership correctly. Pomoco Stadium. Am I getting that right? I think you've been there. I haven't. I've been there, but I, it sounds right to me. So, um, yeah, that, that's the only mitigating factor I can uh, I can think of there. And, and you know, we mentioned Stevenson. Stevenson had the same thing. They had the the uh, the extra kick of adrenaline for their first home game and it was a night game in front of a capacity crowd at uh, at Stevenson last weekend as well. You know, and, that, and that's a good point and it goes back to something we mentioned earlier in the podcast with Montclair State. You know, they 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 won. They beat Morrisville State but they're they're humbled now. You guarantee uh, they're not going to walk around puffing their chest out for the rest of the season and, and coach Giancola will be able to go back to them and 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 anytime they he feels like they're getting away from themselves, you know, chop them back down to size. You know, you can you can lose to anybody on any given day. And Christopher Newport maybe humbled a little bit after the Stevenson loss. You know, you, you just lost to a first year program. But because of the AQ system, the automatic bids, you still have your entire season in front of you. So if you humble yourself and you get back to work, you play, you know, play Salisbury tough. They, they still can win the, the USA South. And we've seen crazier things happen. We've seen teams get in the playoffs at six and four because they win their conference. And, and we saw one last year, five and five. So, Keith. Tell us a little bit about uh, your game on Saturday. I know you went up to Frostburg State. Yeah, a couple of things I want to get a look at. Of course, um, Frostburg State making its uh, home de- home debut this season. Um, you know, joining the Empire Eight, Utica comes in two and zero. They're they're a program that's coached by a coach who came from St. John Fisher, so they're they're they've been on the rise. You know, looking to see if that two and zero start is legit for them. And uh, but but the big reason, of course, is because Frostburg State um, lost a player during the season or during the preseason and, and didn't happen in a fashion where this, this happens occasionally across the, the country where, you know, a player gets in a car accident or something like that. And, and it's, it's no less tragic, but, but for Frostburg state, it happened, you know, on a hit and, and, and Derek Sheely, the, the fullback um, ended up dying, you know, and then to, to, so to go up there today was, Partially, I wanted to see what the first home game at Frostburg State would be like, to see what the what the players' reaction would be like, what the community's reaction would be like, and is there a point where that where they get tired of get tired of um, talking about it? Do they get tired of of does their whole you know they don't want their whole season to be defined by that, or are they really embracing it? I guess you know it's hard it's hard to say to embrace it death, but. But that is kind of what, what the case was when I went up there today. Um, one of my very first images uh, pulling up to the field, parking the car, walking up is you see a group of guys walking toward the field with white shirts on and they, they declare today a whiteout. The shirts had Derek Shealy's face. It said a true warrior and it had his number, number 40. Then you see a uh, line in the fence 
you know, it says go Bobcats and you see uh, a number 40 and it was, it was, you know, made out of cups. They put that in there. Um, signs, uh, drawings of chalk, you know, Frostburg State has a tradition where they touch the rock before they go out onto the field. They carry uh, Derek's jersey. Um, kind of they build a wooden thing where, where they could hold his jersey up. They, uh, they, they, they shouted his number after the game. And, and the real impressive thing is um, they played well, too. You know, the crowd was there. The crowd was in it. But they didn't just have this burst of emotion at the beginning to honor their their fallen teammate and then fall apart. They actually um, you played well in the first half. Utica, uh, you know, there was a there was a, a point where they were about to go up 21-7. Josh Volpe throws an interception, um, you know, ill-advised pass and it maybe double or triple coverage. Utica gets it, turns around, long touchdown pass to Anthony Acevedo. And all of a sudden, what's a 21-7 game is a 14-14 game. So they go into the half sort of you know, close to even. Frostburg State has a small lead. And then Frostburg State really started to pull away uh, in the second half. And the uh, the neat thing was, you know, they, they got a um, they got a great break. They were up seven late in the fourth. They punted. It, uh, it, I, I didn't even see it touch the Utica player, but uh, you could just tell by the reaction of, of, of the player. And then the referee sort of didn't do anything, uh, consulted with the other referee. And, and then uh, they awarded Frostburg State the ball inside the five-yard line. Frostburg State punches it in for a two-touchdown lead. Then they stopped you to get the ball back, and they just they just pounded it. They went went to the run, and it was a lot of you know runs up the middle, runs behind the fullback. And I got a chance um, to talk to, to to those guys about was there any significance to you know to being able to run the ball and being able to power it out in the second half. And uh, and Volpe, uh, the quarterback, who was a senior and and was you know says Derek was his best friend. Um, he, he did say that that that's how uh, Derek would have wanted them to play. You know, that he wouldn't want to, to, to do finesse. He would have wanted to, uh, you know, to power out the second half of that game and, and run the ball. And um, for Frostburg, I think the big takeaway besides that they that they were able to honor their friend today, that they were able to compete in the Empire Eight. Um, the big takeaway is they're happy to be two and one. Their goal for this season is is a winning season. They didn't say they wanted to win the conference. You know, most teams say they got big goals, national championship conference. Frostburg just they, they said winning season, and they're they're two and one right now. They turn around and play Randolph Macon next week. Um, they they have you know some winnable games coming up, and then obviously they're gonna have some tough games because that that Empire Eight is is really loaded in the top half. But the kind the kind of boost that they got from playing well today is something that wasn't just attributable to to the emotion of playing their first home game. Uh, for their fallen player, it's something that they they say, "Hey, look, we got in a tough situation in the game, and we were able to draw on it, and we were able to play well, you know, not just off emotion, but we were able to put put together a real solid second half." So uh, that was what, it, what was impressive to me. Yeah, uh, Frostburg State now at, at two wins this season already has a matches total from last year uh, exceeded its total from two thousand nine. Uh, the last time Frostburg State had a winning year was uh, two thousand five. They finished six and five. Um, they were six and four during the regular season, and then lost an ECAC game. Similarly, 2002, they were six and four, five and four. You have to go back to 1999 before uh, you, you see a season where they had, I, I think, what a, a lot of people would call a, a great deal of success. They were, uh, they were eight and three that year, eight and two in the regular season. And, and you know, back in the 90s, Keith, the uh, Frostburg State, you know, maybe not necessarily a playoff team, but very, you know, consistently seven, eight, nine win team. And, and the thing about it is, if you think about the situation, it's it's similar to what everybody says gives the WIAC so much power. You know, Frostburg State is a state school, um, so you know the tuition is, is not outlandish, and, and they're in that area 
uh, of Maryland. It's way out in Western Maryland, near West Virginia, near um, you know Western Pennsylvania. Um, but they can recruit DC. They can recruit Virginia, and so it gives them all these areas that they can you know they can go into Pennsylvania. They can go into Virginia. They you know they can go so many different ways, and then recruit with an advantage that a lot of the schools they're recruiting against, you know, again, being a state school, um, don't, they don't have that advantage. And so you, you think Frostburg would be um, a place where you could have success if you were able to build up that consistency year to year. But that's maybe been a little bit of, of, um, of the issue, you know, trying to build up a successful program and then to recruit um, with that. You know, it's, it's tough when, you, when you're recruiting with a losing record. You're, you're selling the future. You're selling, hey, we're doing things the right way. It's going in the right direction. And you have to get kids to buy into that. And sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Maybe it depends how convincing a recruiter you are or if you have a win or two wins where uh, you can point to and say that that's where we're going. You want to be a part of this, you know, and in Frostburg State um, hasn't really had that. But maybe this year, maybe joining the Empire 8, to be honest with you, gives them the opportunity to do that. You know, they, they played um, Wesley and Salisbury uh year to year, but they weren't really competitive with them. But this year they're, they're building a little momentum early in the season that could bode well for their program going forward. So Keith, on Saturday, I went to see presentation play at uh, Northwestern. It's uh, the first UMAC game for presentation, only the second game that the, uh, this young program was playing. Uh, and, you know, they came out and they, uh, first of all, uh, you know, under, under uh, Coach Andy Carr, they lost in week one to Trinity Bible. Uh, this is a, a program that, you know, being a first-year program is obviously uh, blessed with a lot of freshmen, shall we say. Uh, there's not a lot of uh, collegiate football experience on the roster. There are a couple guys who stuck out, and, and I will say this. Um, I uh, the, It was 20 to nothing Northwestern at the half, and it looked like the, the wheels were just about to start falling off for, uh, for presentation. So, uh Ryan Coleman, a photographer, and I left that game at halftime, and we went over to Bethel to see the end of the Bethel-Carlton game. So I'll get back to that in a little bit. But um, you know, presentation obviously has uh, has some talent. They have some kids who uh, you know will help them compete in that conference at some point. Uh, will Veely, their uh, their top running back, looked good. He is an athletic kid, but I thought one of the things that really stuck out to me was uh, he had a chance to. Uh, to have a kind of a breakaway run, he uh, made a, a spin move to get out of a tackle, but he made his he, he made his move uh, about two steps too early. Ended up spinning right into the tackle. Just kind of a, a lack of experience kind of thing. Um, they have a guy who's uh, who's who's speedy in the secondary. Gamechu Anderson out of uh, out of Los Angeles came out to South Dakota. This roster is from all over the place. There's a a handful of guys from Alaska. Uh, you know, a bunch of guys from the Dakotas, and it's the only Division three school uh, in either Dakota and the only Division three football program in the area. Um, so, you know, it's obvious that that's a, a program that's going to take a little bit of a, a of time to get on its feet. I thought, Keith, that um, it, it seemed like it bore a, a fairly distinct contrast to what you experienced with Stevenson a couple weeks ago. Yeah, and in the case with Stevenson was you saw the talent again, you know, and, and we saw the inexperience against Shenandoah. Really, uh, they didn't have any any match defensively for Rico Wallace, and, and he, you know, through they, he had five touchdown catches in the first game. But you saw the spark from Stevenson, and 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 Coach Paul Barnes told us right after the game, he said, you know, I'll be shocked if they don't win two or three games this season. They they put together the talent, and Stevenson, remember, had a, had two seasons to build their team. And, and get it off the ground. You know, sometimes they, teams are doing it and they're just grabbing a bunch of freshmen and, and throwing a team out there. And, and Stevenson took their time a little more, but they saw that result. 
really quickly, turned around the next week and, and beat Christopher Newport. And so um, now that's for them, that, that the confidence is there. You know, you don't, the sky's not quite the, the limit yet. They're not going to be great this season, but they're, they, you thought they would be competitive. You know, today they, they weren't so competitive or Saturday they weren't so competitive against Kings, but um, it, it does bear a little bit of contrast with what you're seeing in, in presentation. So, as that game's going on, we're getting the reports from uh, the Bethel-Carlton game, which is taking place about, you know, six, seven miles up the road. Um, Carlton jumps out to a 7 nothing lead. It's 7-7 at the half. Uh, and, you know, we decide to to bolt, basically, and make a run for it. Uh, feeling like a television guy uh, leaving a game uh, after it's partially done to go <laughs> to another one. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, what could I say? Um, so we got there, and uh, Bethel was up... Uh, Bethel was up 14-7, and they uh, just scored to make it 21-7. Um, uh, and and uh, Carlton forces uh, Bethel to go uh, to to punt the ball from about midfield. Except uh, the ball hits off of the uh, off of the helmet of one of the upmen, off of one of the protectors for uh, Carlton. Loose ball. Bethel falls on it. Uh, four plays later, they're in the end zone, and they go up. Uh, they go up 20-7. to seven. Line up to kick the extra point. Uh, it's blocked. Carlton returns it all the way to the other end for a, uh, a two-point defensive conversion. Um, so it got in the house at the right time. But uh, unfortunately, at that point, uh, the, uh, that was pretty much the end of it for, uh, for Carlton. Bethel goes on to win 27-9. to nine. And, and basically, Keith, I was, I was kind of wondering, in that whole uh, reevaluation mindset, wondering what I was going to see and you know Carlton got off to a slow start but they eventually put it put it together well you know, Carlton too was one of those teams that I meant we Bethel about... obviously what's that I, I think I said Carlton but I meant Bethel put it together oh sure sure but I, I'm thinking of, of Carlton being one of those teams that were where they were a couple years ago where we thought of Kane you know they were they were making that move uh, up the Mayak standings and then and then now we and then you know they, they they fell back a little bit the last uh season or two and so Today was the opportunity, you know, and as I'm watching those tweets from afar and obviously you're watching them from close enough where you could you could you know, ditch your game and go to the to, to another game. And, and you want to see that up close because you're thinking, well, if this is going to be a great, great game, um, you know, if Bethel's going to have some trouble, if they're going to struggle could turn into one of these great finishes that we've seen a whole bunch of in, in the first season. And uh, that that didn't really happen for you. But it, it's it's um, the, the Mayak and, and the American Southwest and all these conferences now are starting to be. Uh, you got that dominant team or dominant two teams, but you've seen a big jumble right behind that, those those teams. And, and that race sometimes, you know, not just to win the AQ, but to be close enough to the AQ where you, you maybe could have a second team uh, get in the playoffs. That makes every game important and uh, it, it makes every game interesting. The other thing that stands out to, to me, Pat, is you are in a location, you know, maybe not too many better ones in the, in the country. You know, you used to always joke about moving to Columbus, Ohio to be in the epicenter of Division Three. You could be a short drive from everything. You know, I, I can't think of, of a better area, you know, maybe Chicago. Um, you know, maybe there may be somewhere in, in the mid-Atlantic where you can get to so many different schools and so many different conferences for you to be able to see uh, the UMAC and the MIAC at the same time certainly gives you a, a wide range of, of, of skill, especially when you're talking about a first year program and a national semi semifinalist, you're seeing that. Uh, what, what are the, the, the difference? Is there a real, real huge range between those two teams? Because it, that's kind of something that we asked when we were talking about Gallaudet to Ohio Northern earlier. Oh, from, you mean in terms of seeing Bethel versus seeing anybody in the, in the UMAC? 
Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think that Northwestern is probably going to be somewhere near the bottom of the UMAC. I, I think that uh, uh, there's a there's a world of difference between between Bethel and Northwestern. And again, only seeing you know 15 minutes of it, but seeing you know Brandon Marquardt and seeing uh, Josh Ockrey, the quarterback who saw last year, um, there's a lot of talent there that uh, that that they don't have at Northwestern. Uh, so I, I think there's a fairly big difference. You know, one of the other things that struck me today is. Uh, Frankly, when we got out of that game, we could have uh, gotten back on the road and gone down to St. Thomas. But instead, um, yeah, those were three games that all kicked off at 1 o'clock, actually, uh, local time. But here's the thing. Uh, St. Thomas is now on the uh, the largest radio station in Minnesota. The, uh, the, the WCCO radio got dumped by the Gophers, basically, uh, and picked up... Uh, not quite the second best team in the state. I think Minnesota Duluth would probably argue with uh, with you there, but the sure. the second best team in the metro area for sure. So I'm listening to the to the end of the St. Thomas game for a little bit, and then I remember that of course St. John's has this three station network that covers uh, a pretty good portion of the state as well. So I flip over to the St. John's game, and so now I'm listening to uh, the last. Uh, couple of plays of regulation and then overtime of the of the Concordia Moorhead St. John's game and I'm flipping back and forth and listening to both post game shows I'm like this is like it's not even Nirvana it's like this kind of division 3 fantasy land that shouldn't really exist. Well, you know, part of the problem with that too is that so much stuff kicks off at the same time in division 3. There aren't the night games, there aren't the Tuesday night, Thursday night games where you're trying to get on TV. So just about everything is kicking off at about the same time. So yeah, the situation you're in, pretty lucky to see two games and then to be able to listen to two games. But I think what also is get it has gotten real cool the past couple of seasons and, and it's I think it's hit a new level this year. Um it's being able to follow these games on on Twitter because we have enough of a network now and we have uh you know, people that, that you can ask a question and get an answer right away because somebody's at that game. Right. And, uh, you know, st- still working out some of the kinks. Some people forget we have the scoreboard. Some people are, are forgetting the, the hashtag. But but it, it's it, it's kind of cool to, to be at a game. And, and what actually happens to me today is sometimes I get so involved seeing all these other scores around Twitter that, you know, I'll look up, I'll hear a cheer and I'll go, oh, I missed a great play right here at the game I'm at. Yeah, absolutely. I, I can say for a fact that happens with me a lot. Um don't know what to tell you. I feel like I should go to a game and just sit in the stands with an iPad or just not go at all. Well, we, we, we've certainly seen that that happen, too. You know, we've had times where for whatever reason you have to stay home and then you can get, you know, live video, live stats and all this different stuff. So it is it is a lot of fun to be able to, to have all these different avenues, you know, to, to follow D3 because there's not going to be that. You know, you look at the TV listings on, on, a, on a weekend or in Division One. they'll play the big conferences, but, they, you know, everybody's on TV. The MAC, the, you know, the, the local you know, HBCU, everybody's on, you know. And in Division Three, we don't have that luxury, but we are getting interconnected. And that's what's so cool about uh, about being able to do it in some of these, you know, areas that you're in. You know, if you're in Minneapolis or you're in Chicago or Philadelphia or somewhere like that, you've got all these schools and all these conferences intermingling. And uh, you're really in, in good distance to see a lot of great games. We're uh, about 40 minutes in, a little bit more than that, to our uh, Around the Nation podcast for week three. Uh, I would say if you joined us in progress, but it doesn't really work that way with podcasts, but uh, uh, I'm Pat Coleman, he's Keith McMillan, and it's time for the lightning round, where we uh, touch on, uh, <laughs> in hopefully as, as quick a manner as possible, uh, some of the other things that happened around Division Three this week. First of all, uh, Purple Powers again, not challenged, uh, Whitewater rolls, Mount Union rolls. And the only thing I can say about Mount Union is, is that used to be a great rivalry. 
uh, John Carroll and, and Mountain Union. And, and Mountain is just, you know, they keep on getting better. John Carroll struggling to stay in the top half of the OAC, 58-7. Uh, certainly pretty, pretty uh, in what it used to be. Campbellsville, the team that Whitewater played, they were number 17 in the NAIA coaches poll this week. Yeah, we've seen that before, though, where, where a, a good team from a different division will play a number one or number two, and, and uh, it doesn't always um, pan out. I think there was one year where maybe um, Mary Harden Baylor lost to Southern Oregon or something like that, and there was an Ohio Wesleyan or Ohio Dominican. Somebody had a weird result where they beat a highly ranked team, but generally the, the rankings hold even across divisions. There aren't, there aren't too many teams in, in AIA and in, in non-scholarship 1AA um, that are going to come into Whitewater and, and win, or, or even host Whitewater and win. Frankly, I thought you were going to say there aren't a lot of teams in the NAIA, and that's also true as well. Uh, <laughs> Wisconsin Platteville, are they real? I don't know. You know I, I'm struggling to find some details on, on that game. Um, but, I mean, to, to be 23-14, you know, they lost to Wheaton. So, you know, if they had beaten Wheaton 23-14, then we'd be real excited. We'd say that they're going to be they're going to be tough this year. Wheaton, usually, you know, among the class of, of the CCIW, and the CCIW is one of the toughest conferences uh, in Division III, always, get, always gets its champion, you know, knocked out by the team that, that eventually goes on to, to the Stag Bowl. So it's hard to you know to know how strong uh, the CCIW is ultimately, but if if Wheaton is the best team in uh, in the uh, CCIW this year, then yeah, Platteville uh, hanging tight in twenty three fourteen. That that probably makes them for real. But the good thing about it is we'll get to see what what Platteville's made of when they play Whitewater. In that game, uh, Lee Vlasic, the uh, uh, one of the top running backs for Platteville, uh, <clears throat> got bottled up a little bit. He only had thirty eight yards. On his uh, on his 18 carries, I saw him look pretty good against Buena Vista uh, before the uh, the rain came in that game back in week one. Uh, Nick Anderson, the quarterback, just 17 to 32 passing, but he also ran for 79 yards. Wheaton, uh, you know, we re- remember we talked about Jordan Roberts tearing his ACL; he's out for the season. But Garrett Meter's done a great job as the uh, as a starting quarterback in his stead. He had another great night on Saturday, 23 of 37 for 266, a pair of touchdowns and a a couple of interceptions. The uh, the the not the winning score, of course, because they won by nine, but the icing score for uh, for Wheaton came on just a 16-play drive with uh, 3.33 left. So uh, they get an advantage of a, of a short field there at the end. Uh, Plantville was was leading early and then trailed the rest of the game uh, and, and fell 23-14. to Not uh, that Widener-like homing game, just another, uh, just another day in the rivalry. Yeah, it colored me not shocked that that one ended up being a great game. 31 nothing at the half for Widener. I, I, you know, the tweet came over. I think you you said it, right? You said, oh, well, maybe why somebody's looking like they're for real this year. And, and Widener looked like they were really going to dominate. And then uh, Lycoming turns around, gains 280 yards in the second half, uh, cuts it to 31-28, and uh, eventually doesn't pull it out. But that just goes back. That, that, we mentioned the 90s already once in this podcast, but that, <laughs> that Lycoming-Widener rivalry was every year, if it's, you know, 13 12 or whatever one of the 13 2 was one of the great scores and then and they were they had a 50 49 score and and we've seen this game go every which way but no matter how good the two teams are whether they're you know top 25 level as they've been at some point or whether they're you know middle of the pack in the mac uh they always play a great game 31 28 widener hung on the win after take it scoring the first 31 points it was a widener luck homing game in in 1998 that convinced uh me and ray martell that we finally had to do this football site and we couldn't just uh live with the basketball site that was a, a classic 15-13 game that started as a 13-2 uh, before a, a late rally. There you go. WNL versus Center. Yeah, Center uh, came on late in that one, and 
in, in rally to beat WNL. And, and this, again, reminds me of a tweet from earlier in the week. Adam Turr, who, who you know, writes for us and uh, is a WNL graduate, said there, were, there was somebody complaining about WNL, where they stood in the poll. And, and, and uh, Turr's response was, you know, they just got to worry about being center this week. Because center has their number, and and it turned out that was the case again. WNL got off to a, to a good start, but wasn't able to, uh, to to finish it off. Yeah, Frank Mariello was talking about how far back that rivalry goes, and how glad uh, WNL was to get that uh, back on the schedule after uh, some of the schedules got uh, shaken up. And of course, the the conference schedule is going to get shaken up for uh, for ODAC teams again next year. Uh, so you know, you mentioned the Hampton Sydney thing, and Hampton Sydney had another uh, a, a pretty dominant win on Saturday as well. Yeah, and, and the more they play, the more we're you know getting accustomed to seeing the offense hasn't hasn't missed a beat. Travis Lane at quarterback, uh, you know, looks like he's going to get ready to fall in line with all with all the great quarterbacks that have that have played before him. But the the question really at Hampton City is how's the defense playing? And, and again, they look like they played pretty well against Ferrum today. Um, I, I think they're going to be one of the, the real tough teams to beat in the Mid Atlantic. And if you take a look at Wesley, maybe being weakened. Uh, you don't see a dominant team yet in really any of the other mid-Atlantic conferences. Uh, it could be a big year for Hampton-Sydney if, if they get that defense to match the uh, the offense. Really big test for Hampton-Sydney next week as they, I presume, get on a bus and go down to Montgomery, Alabama to play Huntington. Uh, you know, Ferrum, they threw the ball. Uh, the the uh, change of coach this year, they threw for 232 yards that they were uh, just uh, 13 for 29 passing. But to be honest with you, I, don't, I guess I don't take a whole lot of stock in uh, too much of what Hampton Sydney's done so far, only because you know they've played three USA South teams, and I, I don't think uh, we thought too much of the USA South when the season started, and they haven't really acquitted themselves any better than that. Well, that's true. And, and again, Pat, you mentioned they go down to uh, to Alabama next week and that's the one where where not only the level of, of of talent may get a little better but uh but it's it's gonna be a tough trip you know we we saw it happen to north central going out to california we saw some weird road trips this week you know sewanee and puget sound played i think they played that one out in washington and that and that's coming from from way down in the south all the way up to the pacific northwest these things these are things that are unfamiliar to division three teams and it really does make a difference if your team can't stay focused on that road trip We've uh, reached the end of my notes for the lightning round, so I'm going to start throwing curveballs at Keith. Adrian okay. Augustana. Augustana falls 17-14 on a, uh, on a, on a last-minute field goal, and Augustana is 0-3 for the first time in half a century. Yeah, and, and that at one point was the dominant program in Division Three. I certainly um, wasn't expecting them to get off to an 0-3 start, but what, what you do see from them every year is they challenge themselves. In the pre-CCIW schedule, you know, they play Central, they'll play a team from the WIAC, even Adrian, top half of, of, the, of the Michigan Conference. So uh, Augustana, they, they don't have this philosophy of, well, we'll just, we'll just play anybody that's nearby. You know, they, they like to challenge themselves, and clearly they've been challenged this year. Now they're 0-3. They're, they're really going to have to get it together if they want to compete in the CCIW. Buff State on Saturday just crushing Western Connecticut for the second year in a row, this time 82-17. Yeah, the, the thing beyond the 82 points, the thing that baffles me is that, that – I saw Western Connecticut play last year, and they did not look that bad. They they lost to SUNY Maritime, and Maritime ended up being a ten and O team. And you know, uh, the strength of, of of Maritime was obviously called into question in the playoffs when they lost sixty to zero. But Western Connecticut, they just didn't look bad. They rushed for I think they had a guy rushed for two hundred Tyler DeRosa maybe rushed for two hundred five yards in that game, and it looked like they had a nice line, they had a decent defense. I didn't I didn't see them being sixty five points worse 
than any team at any point this season. You know, so I don't know what's happening there, but it's not good. And and there that's a team we talked about getting demoralized. That that may be one of those teams now. You know, you turn around and uh give up eighty-two and you don't have the same excuse that McMurray had where it was a scholarship team. I don't know how they get it together. Well, Keith, I know you talked to Jerry Boyce uh, a couple years ago when he first came back to coaching. Yeah, and, and the, the feeling I got for him was that it was going to be a couple years for, for Buffalo State to get things back to, to where it was. You know, that was a team that late in the 90s uh, had been a playoff team or had been a top-level team in, in, in uh, upstate New York. And um, you know, they're, right now they're you know jumping around from conference to conference trying to, trying to find their identity, but – to, I, I guess it can't hurt to to hang 80 on somebody, you know, and just build that confidence. Again, we talked about going out and recruiting and having having something you could point to and say, look, look, we're, we're, if Buff State ends up being competitive against Cortland, Montclair, Rowan this year and uh, and then ends up going, they're moving over to the Empire 8, I believe. You know, when they're when they're recruiting upstate New York, they'll they'll be able to say, "Hey, look, we, you know, you want to be a part of this team. You, we, this team that can score points, this team that can compete with the best teams in the East." You know, and that will help uh, Jerry continue to build that program. Yeah, they were competitive early in the game against Cortland uh, back at the beginning of the season. They ended up falling. They have Montclair State on the road next week. Keith, I wanted to kind of wrap up the uh, the podcast this week by talking about your column because I know that uh, after you wrote and we published the column on Thursday of last week about um, uh, former players having advice for current players. I know you got a lot more feedback, and I was, thought maybe you could uh, share a little bit of, of that experience with us. Yeah, uh, I think I'm going to actually dedicate a section to this week's column to some of the email because it's really good stuff. The one that actually stands out to me now, and, and we mentioned, uh, I know we, we tweeted a little bit about um, Tom Lim, and he, had, he sent some expanded thoughts, and, uh, and that's good stuff that, that I'll have to publish somewhere. Um, but the uh, one one that stood out, and, and this is the one where you where you say, see, if we can write a column like that and it, and it touches one person, then you know, then it kind of makes it all worth it. And uh, there's a player who's uh, right now is freshman for a national national championship contender, let's say, and um, you'll get discouraged because you can't play. You know, everybody. This is his mom sent me an email and said. Um, Everybody else is on the road. He, he didn't make a travel team. And so he's getting discouraged and getting ready to give up on it. And, and she sent him the column. And there was a, you know, there was a part from, from Ryan Carlson. He goes on, goes, uh, goes by Wildcat 11 on the boards, uh, runs the, you know, the Cat Dome, um, alumni site where he said, you know, if you're a freshman, just don't give up. You may not, you know, you're not the most talented guy coming in. There may be guys in front of you, especially if you play for a really, a really good team. You know, you're not going to get your shot necessarily as a freshman, even if you were a star in high school. It takes a little bit of time to build that. But, you know, if you give up, you'll, you'll be kicking yourself later in life. And uh, hopefully that does make a difference for, for him and, and for whoever else read it and didn't have their mom email. You know, that that's one of the things one of the reasons why I wanted to do something like that. And I didn't want to just talk about myself and my experiences, but to try to ask some other people what they went through, because uh, although a lot of us have similar experiences, we come at it from a different angle and it really, um, it, it, it does make a difference when you look back at it and you're in your late twenties, you're in your thirties and you say, man, that really was really one of the most rewarding experiences of my life. And, and imagine if I'd given up, you know, and, and there's people who are maybe on the brink or who are, who, who, um, you know, just don't know what's ahead of them, aren't taking it seriously enough. And uh, hopefully, uh, you know, we, we got we got through to a few of them. And, uh, you know, not not to be talking down from on high, but just saying, hey, I'm in I was in your shoes 10 years ago or five years ago or last year. Um, and uh, and I stuck with it and it worked out. So so if you're thinking about transferring or quitting or whatever, you know, stick it out and, and you'll prove something to yourself uh, and not just, uh, you know, that you're a good football player. 
So if you're listening out there, uh, take that advice again as well and, and continue to, uh, you know, again, stick with it. You, you may be on a roster of 200 guys right now, but, uh, you know, if there were 100 of you that came in this year, you know that there's no sen- uh, graduating class of 100 seniors on senior day. So if, you was, if you're able to stick around and be one of the remaining 15, that uh, you're going to be, uh, you're going to, you're going to get your opportunities. So that's the uh, the end of the uh, week three podcast. Coming up next week, some of the big games. Uh, some of them we've already talked about, but, but Mary Harden Baylor is playing Harden Simmons. That game takes a, on a little bit of a different look this week after uh, what happened on Saturday night. Uh, St. Thomas is at Concordia Moorhead. W and J hosts Thomas Moore. Uh, Rowan hosts Cortland State. Co is at Wartburg. Alfred hosts Springfield. Uh, Wabash at the University of Chicago. We mentioned the Huntington uh, hosting uh, Hampton Sydney. Uh, Johns Hopkins hosts Muhlenberg, Louisiana College at Mississippi College, and a lot of other stuff coming up. Next week will be uh, week four in Division Three football, and almost everybody will be on conference play. Even the NESCAC will have yep. uh, come out and joined us by the time uh, we talk to you next week. So stick around for everything else coming up this week. Uh, of course, we have uh, the D3 reports coming up later, and we've uh, got a handful of them in already. Uh, get your nominations in for play of the week. Got a couple of videos in already to take a look at. Uh, around the region columns on Tuesday and uh, and around the nation later in the week. And that is what's coming up this week on D3Football.com. For Keith McMillan, I'm Pat Coleman.